let us, oops, there we go. let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Alleluia. Amen. So Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem, just to set the stage a little bit. And we all know what happens to Jesus in Jerusalem. This is not a, you know, spoiler or anything for any of us who have spent more than about, I don't know, a month in a church. Um, it doesn't really end all that well for Jesus, at least in the early parts of this. And in order to get to Jerusalem, he is going in through Jericho, which is sort of a, a first century equivalent of a large suburb of Jerusalem. It's a decent small city in its own right. Um, and he's passing through right at the moment when his popularity is sort of at its peak, right? When he has the support not only of those who understand the life-altering, paradigm-shifting kingdom promises that he has been giving in all of his prayers and his sermons and his teachings for all of this time as he's walked through Galilee and Judea. But he also, at this exact moment, has the support of those who understand the concept of Messiah as a political savior. The people who think he's there for the practical reason of overthrowing Rome. So pretty much the majority of the Judean countryside and of Jericho is sort of pro-Jesus in this particular moment. Um, and all of these people, no matter how they understand him, will have come out to see, to witness what must have looked like some form of a parade, a protest march, something to that effect. Imagine if really the the whole city of Rochester came out and gathered in a space probably, um, you know, imagine the Christmas parade, for instance, except more people, right? Because everyone in Jericho would have come out, whether out of curiosity, whether out of support, they would have come out to bear witness to this one on whom they've pinned their hopes. This one that they trust is going to save them. And that includes Zacchaeus, our main character. It's a little bit hard to imagine right off the bat, given what we have been taught about tax collectors, for instance, why someone like Zacchaeus would want to go out and see Jesus. If the Romans get overthrown, he loses his job. You gotta kind of wonder at that one. And he's certainly likely to have had it suggested by his neighbors that his betrayal of them by serving the oppressor has locked him out of any future promises given to Israel. I don't think they said that in the nicest terms either. Gut feeling there. I don't think human nature has changed all that much in 2000 years. Zacchaeus is a man with enough power, enough ability to threaten, that he should have been able to push through the crowd with fairly little difficulty, one would think, to stand at the edge of the road. Surely just 
the knowledge of what he could do should have been enough to get him to a place of prominence where he was. Now, perhaps Zacchaeus knew that such a large crowd of people who have every reason to resent him wasn't a place that he wanted to wind up in the middle of. And I understand the concept of having everyone around you be larger than you are and the awkwardness that that entails. But I think somehow there's more to Zacchaeus's decision than that. I think there's more to it, that, that impulse to run ahead to climb, than just the inability to stand at the side of the road in a way that would be comfortable. I think there's more at stake there, not only for Zacchaeus, but indeed for all of the people of Jericho. Because I'm fascinated by the people of Jericho in this story. I think most of the time when we preach on this text, we tend to focus on the little relationship between Zacchaeus and Jesus. It's a nice little interaction and all of that stuff. And I think we like the sort of story where the bad guy, you know, turns around at the end and it's a happy ending. We like happy endings, right? But that leaves out a huge swath of the people who were there. And they really have a role in this story. Because they grumble. Sounds like a throwaway line, doesn't it? The people grumbled. Why? The last time that the people grumbled about Jesus' unfathomable concern for tax collectors and sinners, same phrase, right? Which was just a little bit ago. It wasn't really all that long in gospel terms. Jesus ended up telling the people a bunch of parables directly related to their grumbling. And I think they're probably parables that you're fairly familiar with because one was about a lost sheep and one was about a lost coin. And actually one was about a lost son that we're probably not going to touch as hard in this particular moment, but you know, it's, a, it's an interesting little set of parables. And it's worth thinking about those stories for a moment here in a similar moment of grumbling. Because the last time there were grumbles, Jesus told a parable, but this time he doesn't have to. The story unfolds right before their eyes. And it's worth asking in this moment that mirrors those parables so beautifully who it is who is lost and how it is that they got there. Because sheep might wander off. They're not the brightest animals that God created. They're cute and all, but they're yeah. But sheep are not malicious. They don't run away intentionally. They don't, you know, turn around and watch their shepherd and be like, Nina, Nina, you can't see me. They wander. They seek food. They get distracted. And they certainly don't run away from their shepherd, from their place of safety. Indeed, the fact that sheep tend to sort of wander and scatter and, and browse their way away. That's exactly why there's a shepherd in the first place, to try to ensure that there are as many sheep at the end of the day as there were at the beginning. It's understandable that, you know, in Jesus' parable with a hundred sheep, it might take a moment to realize that there are only 99. The visual of 
that difference isn't a striking one. Which is why, of course, Jesus tells the second parable, that of the lost coin, where one is missing out of ten, which is a slightly more obvious error. And the other thing about coins, of course, is that, as every parent has said at some point in our lives, things like that don't just get up and walk away. How many of you have said that at some point? Mm-hmm. Seeing all the nods. That coin did not just set itself up on its edge and roll off the table all by its little lonesome, I promise. So it falls to the one who misplaced it to light the lamp, to sweep behind the door, to seek, and one assumes, to find. The last time people grumbled at Jesus' relationships with tax collectors and sinners, that's where he pointed them. If one loses a coin, does one not totally undo one's entire house, light every lamp, sweep every corner until one finds? And that begs the question, who lost Zacchaeus? And who should be looking for him even now? It's easy to read this story as an individual narrative. Zacchaeus feels a tug at his rich man, traitorous heartstrings, and as the saying goes, gives his life to Jesus. Not necessarily a term that we use all that often in the United Church of Christ, but go with me on that one. But as we watch this man, this stereotypical rich man whom we are supposed to hate, completely disregard all of his dignity, all of his status, running ahead. Grown men didn't run, not without some vast emergency. And they certainly didn't climb trees. We watch Zacchaeus, this powerful man, act like a small child, putting in all of that effort simply to catch a glimpse of and maybe a better understanding of Jesus. Doesn't that shift our gaze just a little? Back onto the crowd? Back onto all of those who hang on to their dignity and their decorum even as Jesus approaches? Doesn't it sit just a little tiny bit awkwardly that those who gather exactly as they are supposed to, sitting in their designated pews, marrying their Sunday best, being quiet and respectful, all of them pass judgment upon the one who is willing to risk humiliation the indignity of climbing a tree in the loose-fitting robes of the day. Did that click? I mean, the people standing under that tree were not expecting that one. And all of it just to catch a glimpse through the branches, through the leaves, in the hopes that maybe he would actually have a sight line to the Messiah. What do we do? with the knowledge that in this story it is Zacchaeus who feels that he has nothing of value to lose. While the townspeople watch from the side of the road to see this Jesus 
who may be able to bring about the change that they want, the change that will let them just live their lives. Possibly even free from people like Zacchaeus. Please do not burn yourself. All of those who have come to see Jesus, who claim Jesus as their hope and their redemption, whether they are looking in theological or political terms, all of those who feel certain that Jesus is for them, grumble to find out that he is for Zacchaeus as well. They don't like hearing that tax collectors' lives matter, it would seem. The writer Anne Lamott once said, You can safely assume that you've made God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Like tax collectors, for instance. It's a creation born of our own worry. That perhaps we aren't enough. That perhaps we aren't actually worthy. And that worry inside us makes us create rules about how to be worthy, how to be good enough. Rules about how to behave, and how to dress, and how to talk. And from that worry, and from those rules, flow the conceit that grace then becomes the result of human action. Follow the rules, there will be grace. That's the way it works, right? No, because of course we all know it works the other way around. At least we know that up here. I mean, down in here, the rules are still hanging out. And the people of Jericho, well, they've gotten used to those rules. The people of Jericho want Jesus to despise Zacchaeus because they do. They want Jesus to condemn him, to justify the rift between tax collector and community that has built up over the years. They want Jesus to stand on their side, the side of the rules that signify who is in and who is out. They want Jesus to be one of them. The people want Jesus to tell Zacchaeus that it's, own, it's his own fault that he's been excluded. He should have just followed the rules, after all. He should have known better. He should have acted more like the rest of the community. And then he wouldn't be in this predicament. It really was a very simple matter, Zacchaeus. And Jesus, would you please just tell him that? The people want Jesus to tell Zacchaeus that he can only be loved if he repents. If he admits that he has been lost. If he admits that his separation from community is his responsibility alone. The people of Jericho maybe don't know Jesus quite as well as they think they do. And so the people of Jericho grumble. When Jesus passes underneath the sycamore tree and looks up through the branches right into Zacchaeus's eyes. And there, on the strength of the tax collector's curiosity alone, he extends grace with no questions and no conditions. The people grumble, but Zacchaeus responds to grace with grace, responds to healing with healing. And Zacchaeus stands before Jesus to celebrate the restoration of the one lost sheep, of the one lost coin, of that which has been broken by working to make it whole. Who was it who had lost Zacchaeus in the first place?
this could indeed be read as an individual story. It's just the tale of Zacchaeus the tax collector, after all. Maybe he's the one who matters. But I think that it is also very much the tale of the people who didn't realize what they had lost. The people who didn't think it was important to seek, perhaps for fear of what they would find. This is the tale of the people of Jericho, who punished and ostracized the collaborator without seeing in him a sheep who had wandered, a coin of their own collection. This is a tale of what happens when relationships become one-sided, when we come out to watch from a respectful distance in the hopes that what is passing by us might yet save us without any particular effort on our part. When we come out without really giving of ourselves to see the people whom we trust will change the world so long as they don't change the parts that we actually like at this particular moment. This is the tale of what happens when we look for the Jesus that we want to see, arriving in triumph on a wave of popularity, without seeing the ones whom Jesus is seeking, without participating in the grace. It calls all of us, yeah, them too, into new life. This is the tale of Zacchaeus, yes, but it is also the tale of the very, very familiar grumblers and complainers. It is the tale of those who have been lost, but I think all the more it is the tale of those who did not seek them out, even when they were sitting in plain sight up on the branch of a sycamore tree. Thanks be to God. Amen.